Hi everyone, welcome back to Fire and Film, and today we are bringing you another top 10. We've not done a top 10 in a while, and we're going back to TV, and this time we're going to do TV comedy. Today I've been joined by Gemma and Holly. Uh, we're going to do our usual kind of 10 to 1, all that kind of nonsense. Um, but first, we will go through some honourable mentions, if anyone's got any honourable mentions. Gemma's got some. Go on, Gemma. Okay, so I've got probably more honourable mentions than I've ever had before because this has been a hell of a job. And it was also because I wasn't quite sure what we were categorising as TV comedy. So bear with me for this one. So I was like, right, are we just going to go with kind of scripted episodes of TV programmes here? Or are we going with sketch shows, chat shows, um, sort of documentaries done with a comedian doing it? Uh, or you know um, those kind of things so my sketch shows uh, so I've only gone with scripted episodes for my top 10 of like scripted tv shows so the other things that I've put in my honorable mentions are things like Morecambe and Wise, Two Ronnies, League of Gentlemen, Harry Enfield back in the day and Good, Goodness Gracious Me those are my sketch shows ones um, chat Mrs Merton like Mrs. Merton, I don't know if you two are a bit young for that, but Mrs. Merton was a Caroline Ahern um, character back in the late 90s, and she was brilliant. My favourite thing she ever did was she stood up, she was an old lady, right, an old northern lady, that was a character. She stood up at the Brits live, and she said, Charlie, Charlie love, if you're out there, will you, let, will you make yourself known? Because everyone backstage is asking for you. And the whole auditorium just fell apart. It was just brilliant. She was great. Um, documentary wise, things like Idiot Abroad, because I love Carl Pilkington. The second he opens his mouth, hilarious. Uh, and then other scripteds that didn't make the top 10. Shits Creek, Vicar Dibley, Young Offenders, Fleabag, Fresh Meat, Red Dwarf, Bottom, Gimme, 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 because, um, uh, what's her name again? Kathy Burke. Kathy Burke just slays in that. She's so <laughs> good. Mandy, which came out last year, which nobody I know likes. That's a Diane Morgan thing. I loved it. Everybody else said they hated it. Uh, and Golden Girls as well. That's on my uh, my. Uh, honourable mention. So yeah, sorry for that rather exhaustive uh, list there. It's fine. It's fine. I did sort of assume, rather you know, silly, um, that your number one might have been Vicar Dibley. And is that because you're going to say which everybody else in my entire life has always, has always said, which is that I remind them of Dawn French? No, gen generally, no? I was thinking about it, and I, I can. I, I've got like in my head something that I think Holly might have. Right. And then I just thought, I, I can imagine Gemma being a fan of Vicar Dibley. I'm a massive fan of Vicar Dibley. She brought some <laughs> more out uh, uh, last year. It didn't make the cut because I think there's been things since then that I've fallen in love with. And I think that when I watch it back, which I did do over lockdown, it's a bit dated now. It's very Richard Curtis. It's mm. a little bit dated uh, now. So it probably doesn't make my top 10 now just because... There's other stuff that uh, that has done, but it's still absolutely glorious. I love it. Okay. Holly, you got any honourable mentions? Oh, yeah, I've got loads. I'm really okay. sorry. Uh, <laughs> like, this was the hardest top 10 list by a million miles. And like all the other lists we've done, I've like been really in love with my top three, really, really liked my top five. And then like the other five are things I like, but I've been able to shuffle them around. This was like picking between my babies, like... Every single one I adore. They could have all been number one. So everything that's been pushed out of the 10 is still something I love and I'm going to really regret not putting it in the 10. Um, so I've got uh, Flight of the Concords, adore Flight of the Concords, um, Arrested Development, at least the first three seasons, like the new ones on Netflix were horrible. Um, but the original ones I loved so much. Um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, I, I saw a, a meme which is like the axis of sitcoms. And it, it's like uh, the horizontal axis was good people to bad people. And the um, vertical one was doing good things to doing bad things. And it plotted every sitcom on there. And Always Sunny was right in the corner, worst people doing the worst things. Um, and I just, I, I, I just love every single one of them and they, they deserve every awful thing that ever happens to them. Um, Arthur Marenghi's Dark Place, 
which is a bit of a weird niche one. Um, it has uh, a couple of people from the Mighty Boosh in it, um, a couple of face, Matt Berry was in it, a couple of faces who weren't famous at the time, but it's an eight, a sitcom that is an 80s uh, hospital drama. And the the comedy comes from how bad the production values are. Um, that I I love that so much. It's really really good. Um, what else have I got on my list? Detectorists, which is more of a dramedy, but I I love it so. It's so gentle, but but relatable, but so so funny. And I love every single person here. I want to give all of them a hug. Um, yeah, I'll I'll stop there because I've got like I've got this giant 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 list. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's fine. Uh, I've got a few. I'll I'll try and rattle them off as quickly as possible. Um, so ones from when I was younger, but again, I don't know why I was watching these at, at this younger an age. Um, Shooting Stars, Red Dwarf, um, South Park. Like now, I'd be like, uh, you know, they're from a bygone era. Um, some sort of scripted ones that I got in. So a lot of mine are kind of American sitcoms I'm finding. Um, so there was a sitcom um, called Raising Dad many, many years ago that only ran for one season. And it had like Bob Saget in it, a really early role for Kat Dennings that I really enjoyed. Uh, Rules of Engagement that's got Patrick Wobb and David Spade, people like that in. Um, Max and Paddy was one that kind of just fell out of the top 10. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Again, I think Amy likes that more than me. Um, but again, I've sort of dropped in and seen all the odd episodes and stuff. And then, Gemma, what you were saying about what are we categorising as a comedy show? Because there is, there's one in my top 10, which I can kind of label as something. And then there's one in my top 10 that I don't, I'm, I'm struggling how to label it. Um, but the two that fell out, Graham Norton, as in just a Graham Norton show, because I can watch that every week and just laugh at it. And if I'm honest, I think the one show that makes me laugh more than any other on TV, but it's not really a comedy, is Gogglebox. Like, but I'm like, can I really include that in a top 10 TV comedy? So I wanted to just mention it because it's the, um, because I'm just finding that I think the sort of, the sincerity of real people reactions, I think is funnier than anything else. Um, right, so we're going to get into our top 10s. Uh, Gemma, if you don't mind kicking us off with your number 10. Okay, so uh, yeah, this is a newbie then, relatively, which is uh, Dairy Girls. So my number 10 is Dairy Girls. Uh, as soon as we watched that, it just connected with me, not because I'm Northern Irish, I'm not, but the exact year that it's set in with the age of the girls is the exact same age I was in that year. So it's set 94, 95, and those girls are 14, 15, and that's exactly the same age uh, as I was then. So it's when you when I watch it, and I watched their clothes and uh, what they've got on and just kind of what was important to them at the time, like the Take That concert episode and things like that. That was just us. That was me and my girls and my twin. And that was our life. And it is exactly, exactly on point. Um, so, yeah, uh, I would say Dairy Girls. I think it's brilliantly written. I think it's really funny. The uncle is hilarious. We've all got an uncle like that. Um uh, but yeah, it's definitely, I think, a nostalgia thing. The Derry Girls thing for me is a nostalgia thing because of my age and the age that, that uh, those girls were at that time. Uh, but yeah, really connecting with it. And I think in our house, we really quite like the character Orla. We love Orla. We just think she's brilliant. So yeah, my number 10 is uh, is Derry Girls. Shout out for Sister Michael. <laughs> oh, the course. teacher we all wish we were. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely, yeah, when when she's, yeah, she's so bitter, isn't she? <laughs> and just so dry, but just and hates it so much. I love, oh yeah, poor sister Michael, yeah. Should have given her, her a mention there. Yeah, good shout there, Hull. I'm using this podcast as a list of ones to go and watch because I think as much as I'm, I, I, everyone loves comedy, everyone likes laughing. I don't think I watch enough comedy, you know, and I think there's going to be a lot that you guys mentioned that I'm not going to upset, so... Um, right, so my number 10 um, is one that ended quite recently. It ended in 2020, um, Modern Family. And this was one that me and Amy picked up while we were in university. We were trying to just find something to watch. And we, I think the, the old-fashioned way now, we went to HMV and we bought a box set. And we watched, you know, the first couple of seasons and stuff like that. And then we just kind of carried it on from there. 
So if you're not aware of Modern Family, it's about the the kind of the Jay Pritch's family. So he's a grandfather, he's a father. You see um, Claire and Phil Dunphy, you see Cameron and Mitchell Tucker, all the different kind of sides to his sort of, his children and the families that they have. And it, it sort of deals with a number of different topics, things like, for instance, with Cameron and Mitchell, um, same-sex marriage, they go through the whole thing of adopting children. Uh, Claire and Phil Dunphy, like Phil Dunphy is just, number one, one of the funniest characters I've seen on TV in a very long time. And also, like, him as a dad is quite hilarious as well. Uh, and just started taking points and things like that from him. And it was one of those things, similar to Boyhood, which is one of my favourite films of all time, seeing characters grow up and seeing the characters grow up over the 10 seasons. Because I think you get some sitcoms where, obviously, they're going to grow up as adults. But even when you're seeing the kids, like, if you go back and watch the first episode of Modern Family, and then you watch the last episode of Mom Family, the change in the kids is massive. And just seeing them go through that is, is quite, it's quite interesting to do. Um, and it ran for, you know, 11 years, so it's pretty successful. Uh, but, yeah, that's my number 10. So, Holly, what's your number 10? Uh, my number 10 is Spaced. Um, I love Spaced. I, uh, I, again, I did the same thing. I bought the box set from HMB in my first year at uni. I think. Um, and before watching Space, I, I've always loved sitcoms. It's always been like a, a, a massive part of um, what I watch on TV. But I think I focus quite a lot on sitcoms like Friends, like the American ideal of what single young, in inverted commas, people are like. And Space was ju- just blew my mind. So it was like, oh, yeah, OK, this is actually what my life is like. I loved space so much because instead of like the plot point being who's Rachel's new really sexy assistant in her ridiculous job in her amazing apartment, it was we're in a horrible apartment. Who's going to descale the kettle? And it's like, yeah, that's what's actually funny. That's that's what our lives are actually like. And then on top of that, you've got all of the amazing film references and pop culture references. Um, One of my favourite episodes is where um, he spends all night playing zombie games and then can't get out of the mindset of being in a zombie computer game for the rest of the day. And I'm like, oh, that's exactly how I feel. If I stay up all night playing computer games, the next day I want to blink because I'm like, oh, just go back to my past save and then I won't have said that stupid thing. Oh, wait, I can't. I can't reload in real life oh no but space understood that and and gave it to me and I I, yeah uh, it spawned so many amazing talents who are now gigantic names in Hollywood like Edgar Wright was the director and and writer of many of the episodes and um, literally yesterday watched um, Last Night in Soho which is his um, new film so obviously the the progression but in space you can see all those little cinematic things the way it's filmed was so different to any other sitcoms that I'd seen as well no uh, studio audience um, no kind of fixed sets um, so yeah it really I, I think that's the one that expanded what I thought a sitcom would be while still being super relatable which I think is a really important thing about sitcoms because if you're watching a sitcom it's a comforting thing as well um so yeah spaced is just great yeah last night in soho is a, a strange one isn't it it's good like don't get me wrong it's good but it's not what i expected from an edgar wright film it's very different to, to very what different. he's done before really yeah. personal i think yeah um, but yeah, i did enjoy I it he's pulled a lot of influences from everywhere and yeah um Okay, so my number nine um, is, I've already mentioned the Peter Kay show. Um, It's not Phoenix Nights, because I came to Phoenix Nights quite late on, um, but it's the one that I kind of watched as and when it was on, and that's Kasha. Um, So Kasha, again, is quite recent. Um, I just love the simplicity of two people who are just driving to work, and they kind of, they get across really well that sort of, I'm half awake, don't really talk to me. I'll talk to you if you need to. But then when we get to work and on the drive home, we've got so much to talk about. We've got so much to bitch about because all this is just going to happen. And then it gets funnier and funnier as the seasons go on, I think. And obviously there's this underlying thing of sort of um, the relationship between 
John and Kaylee, but the episode where he winds up the guy on the bike and he's lifting his wing mirrors up and then the car door <laughs> gets hit off by another car. It's just, it's hilarious. And and like I think for us as well, watching it, because I remember talking to someone um, in a school that I used to work in when it was on, because we know Greater Manchester and we know all these different places, me and Amy are just going, oh, we know where that is. Where are they driving to, though? Because they've driven past that place and they've gone back somewhere else. And it's just, I like my mate did um, medical cover for one of the episodes where they were filming and stuff. And apparently Peter K buys out a uh, an ice cream van every day and just has it turned up and gives people ice creams on breaks and things like that. And I was like, he sounds like a, a good boss. We'll take that one. Uh, but yeah, Kasha, like I loved it. Um, I, I wish to do more, but I think as with everything with Peter K does, he knows when to stop it and he knows when to kind of, that's it. We've had the time with that one. Um, and I think it's definitely had its time, but it's always one that's good to go back to. Uh, so that's my number nine, Kasha. Uh, Holly, what's your number nine? Um, well, Kasha definitely should have been in my honourable mentions. That, that you, every time someone mentions one, a Dairy Girls should have been as well. Like, I, I just love them all so much. Your list's getting bigger. It's getting really big now. Um, okay, number nine. Ah, oh, I'm, I'm so sad this couldn't be higher up on the list. Um, they all deserve to be higher up on the list. Uh, this country. Uh, so I've spent ages talking about this country in the car with Gemma. So I know she's a fan. Um, I, it's fairly recent. It's one of the more recent ones that I've got on my list. So it came out in 2017. There were three, uh, series. I think it's probably finished now. Um, again, I think a great thing about British sitcoms and why the vast majority on my list are British sitcoms is they definitely tell their story and then they stop. Um, and you can tell the ones that don't do that because they're not going to be on any of our lists because they're not the classic ones. Um, and this country did that really, really well. It's just three series of joy. And the, it, there's not a ton of character growth, but the little bit that there is is just perfect. Like going from the first series where they really are just total utter losers to seeing Curtin get a job in the second series that he's so good at. Like my, my one of my favorite episodes is where he's in the bowls club and and he's just mates with all of well he thinks he's mates with all of the old men but they're not really his mates but he seems to think he's got this patter with all of them and this banter with all of them and he knows he's got to wake this one up and he can't give this one a drink after three o'clock or he'd fall asleep and just those tiny little things just feel so real like obviously I'm not from the Cotswolds like uh the lovely Gemma is but I am from North Wales and I am from a rural area and I understand what that village is like because my village is very very similar to that village um and just you know sitting around all day just waiting for your cousin to come home so you can put your chicken nuggets in the in the oven without having to put the oven on twice that that's real life I've been there um and the fact that they can mine such wonderful cringy comedy out of it um is just glorious and the the um people who created the series daisy may cooper and charlie cooper who are brother and sister in real life and in the show they play cousins and that relationship is just so clear um and without that if they'd they'd had other actors in it it wouldn't have been anything like the show it is the fact that they're so close is is what makes the show um but the supporting cast of characters in that village are also amazing the vicar breaks my heart every time the vicar is on screen he breaks my heart he's such a lovely lovely man um mandy is terrifying beyond belief and I never, ever, ever want to see her in real life because she scares the living daylights out of me. Um, yeah, I, for anyone who's ever lived in a village, you will completely understand that show. And if you haven't, you should watch it and and understand what most of the country goes through. Um, yeah, this country is just brilliant. Daisy May Cooper's like skyrocketed since that. And she should. And she yeah. should. She was in um, David Copperfield. Um, and she was brilliant in that. And I haven't seen her just in a role that she hadn't written herself or just her being herself. Yeah. And she was a great actor. Really, really good. I've not seen much of Charlie. But I'm assuming they're both just, you know. Oh, 
he was in he had a bit part in staff let's flats yeah, which also did. should have been in my honorable mentions because i love staff <laughs> let's flats um but he was he was pretty good in that yeah i just i got through uh staff let's let's flats when i was off sick uh a few weeks ago and i watched that over a couple of days uh and i thought it was staff let's flats was um, a sitcom of two halves i felt that everything to do with staff was hilarious and everything to do with the sister was really painful. I don't know why, but I didn't like that. But him, I thought he was hilarious. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Gemma, your number nine. Right. So my number nine is um, it's it's what young offenders went on to my honourable mentions for. Um, it's going to pale into insignificance when people come up with some really highbrow comedy and things like that. I'm just going to remind people I'm 41. I'm a theology graduate, okay? And yet, uh, in between us is on my list because it's hilarious. It's just really funny. I'm sorry, but it's really funny. It's baseline, right? It, it is, and teenage boys love it, which maybe that means that my brain is wired like a teenage boy. I don't know. Or maybe it's because I work with teenage boys. I don't know. But you know what? I would watch that right now. If that came up as something to watch again, I think, yeah. And you know what? I did actually, while I was off sick a few weeks ago, I did watch a good few ones. I watched the films again. I think they're really funny. I think I think what's really good, I remember... Um, reading an interview once with the uh, with the creators of the show and they made it on the back of a series called Skins and this series called Skins was all the very kind of uh, it, uh, it was British but it was a very kind of Hollywood idea of being a teenager everybody had a really nice car and you know everybody was getting as much action as they wanted you know and they're all beautiful and all this lot and the creators of In Between Us said, that's not what it's like to be 17. It's What it's like to be 17 is one of your mates has got a crap car and yet you have to rely on them to get you everywhere. You're trying to get served and you're not going to get served anywhere. You're just trying to get served in a pub as much as possible. And, you know, you're just focused on, you know, like, how's, how are your relationships going to escalate, shall we say? Uh, you know, into the more adulthood nature. And and that that is being 17 in Britain. Um, I love it. I think it's really funny. Jay's hilarious. When Jay takes that motorbike and crashes into the uh, into the wall because he's because he's just so full of BS, isn't he? And then he's like BSing that he knows how to ride bikes and stuff and he crashes it. But everything he says is just brilliant. I love the way that he just lies all the time. Yeah, I, I can't even, I can't apologise anymore. I just think it's hilarious. You don't need to. In between us is brilliant. Right. Skin, Skins came out the first year I was at uni and I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. So like, I do not know anybody like anybody in Skins. And everyone's talking about how it's gritty and real. And I'm like, no, it's not. These people don't exist. And then In Between Us came out a year or so afterwards. And I was just like, done. Thank you, universe balance is restored that that is that is what it's like you know just like you wear a hat and so all your mates start taking the mickey out of you because what the hell have you got in your head absolutely yeah that's that's what my friends would have done at that age i was never a fan i just i, I don't know what it was and my, my mate was my mate really enjoyed it and i just I, I think i might have watched one episode and just thought nah and you know that were it but i think to be fair, it, it cap perfectly captures that kind of like early naughty zeitgeist of this is what life was like at that point, and this is what all people of that time, not even early naughty, it's like 2010s, weren't it? But maybe it's too real for you, Adam. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm just I'm seeing myself in a mirror. It, and it I... is it's too much for him. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Um, right, we'll get into our number eights. Holly, what's your number eight? I am denied about this, so please feel free to jump in and say you don't think I should have chosen this, because the creator is quite now a problematic person, and I fully appreciate that this person is a problematic person. However, this sitcom has been in my life for a very long time, and I love it separately from the person who created it, um, and that's Father Ted. Um, I adore Father Ted so much. Because I just think it's one of the cleverest sitcoms that I've ever watched because when it came out, we we knew 
about big issues in the Catholic Church with priests. We knew this, and yet they still made a sitcom about three really degenerate priests on an island. And the question must have always been, but people are going to assume the worst here. That must have been the conversation that was had in TV exec offices. And yet it, it just works so well because the actors and the, the way they, they've written their particular foibles, the idiot and the greedy person and the, the total animal that is Father Jack, are, are so likeable and their, their um, faults are so gigantic and on display that you don't feel that there's that, that nastiness that could have been there under the surface. They're just awful people. And they happen to be priests who never, ever, ever talk about religion, ever, ever, ever. They just talk about trying to get money, trying to drink and fall asleep, um, wanting to be He-Man um, and kind of normal people things. Um, and everything about it is surreal and strange and just funny, funny, funny. And I really, I could watch the three series of Father Ted back to back on a loop any day of the week. As so many of the phrases from Father Ted have just come into my normal speech. Like if anything is ever controversial, I will just say, down with this sort of thing, careful now. Um, and I think lots of people do because so many of those phrases are now just part of British life. Yeah. You can say quite a lot on uh, on my degree course, I did religion. Uh, that would be an ecumenical matter. Do you remember when Father Jack was told he had to just say that? That would be an ecumenical matter. <laughs> the answer to something. And then there's a great one where um, Ted asks Dougal something and he turns around and goes, ah, I don't really believe in organised religion, Ted. <laughs> Yeah. Or I, I can't remember which episode it is where he's talking about the Christmas story and Dougal's like, oh, that sounds a bit far-fetched. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not the greatest story ever told. Have you seen that one about the, the dinosaurs? It's like, yeah, actually, you're right. Jurassic Park is, you know, Jurassic Park's pretty good. You could put that. Yeah. I like it when he has to explain to him about the sheep. And he's like, these ones are small, but those ones are far away. <laughs> yeah, good shout that, Ollie. Yeah. The one, the, the episode that sticks in my head is where they get lost in the department store, oh, and they find it's a lot the of largest priests. lingerie department in Northern Ireland. Yeah, Ted. they find a lot of priests in the lingerie department. They go, "Are you lost here?" And they go, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." <laughs> the exits that way. <laughs> Oh, I mean, yeah, Father well. said was the one that I thought Holly would be to be honest. Right, well, you could shut, you could just shuffle all of mine around, really. <laughs> it, on on a different day, Father Ted could have been number one. Uh, fine, fair enough. Um, Gemma, what's your number eight? My number eight. I can't decide which series because they all have slightly different names, but it's anything Alan Partridge. So uh, I'm Alan Partridge is probably the one I like the most, the I'm Alan Partridge series. But yeah, knowing me, knowing you, even the latest one this time with Alan Partridge, which is a real takeoff of like the one show and things like that. Classic. Uh, my my closest friend, um, Kelly and I, we, we love this. And there are times when we communicate in um, Alan Partridge uh, memes, Alan Partridge phrases, uh, if we're doing something that we know is a little bit Alan Partridge, we will make sure that we video ourselves doing it and send a photo. You know, so she was on uh, a <laughs> she, she was on a boat in holiday uh, a couple of uh, years ago, uh, and she's just like on this little boat going down these little canals, and she's filming herself going what a way to have a good time, and just sending me these. Uh, these videos of herself on this boat and we're just like yeah brilliant Alan Partridge love him my dad hates him my dad absolutely hates him um but I yeah I can't help but laugh at him just that cringe I love the cringe where you're just like oh no stop so desperate isn't he so desperate to be famous that he'll um he'll do anything uh we actually went to um a quiz show a couple of years ago that was hosted by Geordie Michael 
Um, and he it was a quiz show about Alan Partridge, but he hosted it. Uh, and he came and had a drink with us afterwards. He sat at our table and we had a few pints with Jordy Michael. That goes up there as one of the best nights of my life, particularly as because for us, he decided he would do an, um, an impression of that time when he was talking about uh, Bangkok Lady Boys. And then he changes the story quickly when Lynn walks in. And then Alan's a bit confused. It's like, that's not really how it ends, is it? Um, so yeah, I've uh, uh, actually heard him say that in real life. Jordy Michael, what a character. He's just brilliant. Uh, yeah, so Alan Partridge for me on that one, any of the series. Again, another one that I've not done, but you know what I did do? I watched the film and I don't know why. Like I, I'd never seen any Alan Partridge before. And I thought, yeah, I'll go and watch the Alpha Papa film. And what did you and think? I can't, I, it was fine, you know, it wasn't awful. And like, I laughed at it, but I think I could tell the points were, yeah, it was dropping yeah. clangers. And I thought, oh, I think that must be a TV show thing. Yeah. Oh, I think that must be a reference to no, that. Yeah. To be able to appreciate the film, you definitely, definitely need to know the character and have that journey almost with him and see yeah. like how long he's been fighting for this fame and things like that. The, the humor of him being on crappy local radio and things like that. Uh, I, yeah, I think the film standalone doesn't make a lot of sense, I wouldn't think. No, it was when I was in the phase of going watching everything that came out in the cinema. So I was like, well, that's out, so I've got to go and watch that. And yet still haven't seen Stand By Me. Still, no, I have now. <laughs> have you? Yeah, I told you on Results Day. And I said I thought it was fine. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Fine. Fine. Nice, I watched it? that and I watched Lost Boys and, and now I'm all over Lost Boys. Like, oh, yeah, Lost Boys I can teach Lost Boys next year. They've just added it to the, the spec for film studies. Dracula and Lost Boys as a comparison. You know, see how I feel. Um, nice. My number three, uh, my number eight even, says number three, I think. Um, the last time I mentioned something starring Rowan Atkinson on this podcast, I got slated um, because it was Johnny English and I said that I enjoyed it more, more than the favourite. Um, so, I'm not highbrow enough to include Blackadder because I've not seen Blackadder. So my number eight is Mr. Bean. Um, because <laughs> it's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. The films as well. Ruby loves Mr. Bean's Holiday, right? And it's not even the best film. I've tried to show her the other one. She's not bothered about the one with Whistler's mother and he goes to America. She's more interested in the holiday. But the TV show... I watched from a very, very young age. Ruby's now picked up on certain episodes. Um, but like her by Mr. Bean, where he just gets away with cutting people's hair in the hairdressers and he puts a ball on a poor kid's head and literally cuts around it. And just everything that he gets up to, it's hilarious. And I think it's that, it's that sort of pure comedic sort of facial expressions, movement, slapstick style that is essentially, Mr. Bean is essentially a silent character. He could completely get away with it. And everything that you need to know about Mr. Bean being a British institution, go back to the 2012 Olympics. All it takes is Rowan Atkinson's face and the apathetic touch of a keyboard to, to make everyone go, oh, he's doing Mr. Bean. He's doing Mr. Bean. Why don't you like Mr. Bean, Gemma? I, I hate it. It's, I hate slapstick. I really do. I'm sure we've had this conversation before. I think we might have done, to be when honest. I see someone doing something slapstick. I just think, oh, just sort it out. You know, like when he's making that sandwich and it takes ages to make a sandwich and he's killing the fish or whatever. And I just say, oh, I'll just stop. I have no patience with it. I, I so, can't... you know, like, I, I might make Holly proud with this reference now. Something like Make Him Laugh from Singing in the Rain. Like, do you, do you kind of go what's that i don't think i've seen that what's what do you mean so there's a whole scene in singing in the rain where a character sings a song called make him laugh oh, okay. and it's all like he's walking into a board he's getting hit on the back of the head with a plank just stuff like that you just can't you abide stuff like that. that ironically then i would laugh at him doing that like ironically but i suppose it is isn't it yeah it was about that completely then no i mean i i I don't mind a bit of like Laurel and Hardy, like some classic stuff. My, I can remember as a child just watching my sister crying, laughing at that. I don't mind a bit of that, but I couldn't stand it for long. Mm. But yeah, it is just, um, Mr. Bean to me is one of the most unfunny things 
that I could ever watch. I, I just, I think it's awful. It's painful. I loved your car share shout. Thanks. Brilliant. That yeah. scene with the monkey, that day when they go and they get the monkey in the back. <laughs> I can remember us two just like, we had to pause it. We had the fishmonger in the back of the car, stinking, singing, singing along with the radio. <laughs> with the what, sorry? Do you not remember that one? Which one? What's the song? I can't remember the song. They, they, they have to take the fishmonger on because he's got no other way of getting home and he's absolutely stinking the car yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, no, for me, the best scene in that was the monkey when they, they went yeah. out and the monkey got, they had to take the monkey in the car in a car seat. Um, we had to pause it at that point. We were crying. But no, um, Mr. Bean, sorry. I respect, oh. I respect your choices, but I would never come round your house and watch that with you. <laughs> Well, I was going to mention um, Monty Python. Okay. So I've I've not gone back and watched like all the series of things like Flying Circus. My Monty Python comes from the films, and then comes from the stand. I was going to say stand up show. It wasn't a stand up show. The show that they did at the O2. So I bought the like the the DVD of that, and so I've effectively seen the best bits of Flying Circus with the dead parrot and all that kind of stuff. I love that. I think that's great. I think that's really funny. But then, is that too slapstick? So, I completely agree with you. I think that in Monty Python, there are absolute pockets of genius. Brilliant. Mm. It's just absolute classic, never to be repeated, phenomenally good stuff, really clever. But there are times when it blurs a little bit too slapstick for me. So I can take it in small doses. Yeah, Monty Python in small doses, that's fine. Uh, because sometimes it is very, very, very clever. Um, yeah. But yeah, when it starts getting a bit slapsticky for me. You see, this is the thing about sketch shows is that sometimes I think they're just, it's too much re repetition of the same thing. So like things like Little Britain. I remember the first time I watched Little Britain. I thought that's really funny. You know, when you see a character doing that, that's really funny. And then the next week they do it again. And then the next week they do it again. And it's a repeated joke. And I think a repeated joke is not a funny joke. So you can kind of watch it once. So when Monty Python does something like that, that's a bit repetitive, I, I tire of it. But when they rocked out some of their real classics, I, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, so like this morning, as I was coming up the stairs to start coming to the and to record this, I did think, why is Little Britain not on your list? Because when I was 13, 14, I absolutely loved it. I went and watched the stage show and all that kind of stuff. And I had the I had the CD from when it was a radio show. I had the DVDs of the, of the TV show. But it was one of those things where, at the time, it was the funniest thing on TV. And I absolutely loved it, and my mates were watching it. But then if I went back to it, I'd just be like, oh, that's not as funny as I remember it being. And I think that's, it's one of those things of like, what a lot of comedies tend to do is they aim high in terms of the target audience because they put a lot of swearing in it. But actually the audience that it gets into are much younger than they need to be or should be. And I think that's where that then happens. So yeah, yeah no, I didn't include a little bit. Audience grows up and progresses. The comedy doesn't. Yeah. So much. And it was the same with things like the Catherine Tate show. You know, great the first time you watch it and with the nan and things like that. But then they do it again the next week and the next week. And then you're like, oh, it's the same joke, same joke every week. Um, yeah. And then, like you say, with Little Britain, sometimes it's the shock factor or stuff like mm. that. The edginess of watching it when you, I mean, I was in my 20s. Uh, but when you're a teenager, oh, I, I was teaching at that time. I remember all the kids, that's all they talked about was Little Britain. They loved it. Yeah, it's so like, you know, the whole computer says no stuff. And, yeah. you know, I think I mentioned... I referenced Vicky Pollard to someone the other day, a teacher who is, I would guess, about 10 years younger than me, and she didn't know what I was talking about. Oh, right. Okay, wow. Yeah, so. Yeah, I used to do quite a good impression of Vicky Pollard. Get a break, me, but <laughs> shut up anyway. <laughs> exactly. What you on me just because I got off with him behind the back of the language lab? <laughs> well, that's it, isn't it? But now it's just uh, dated. It's, it's really interesting, though, because you were talking earlier in your honourable mentions, Gemma, about some shows that were like sketch shows. And you said things like The Two Ronnies and yeah. Morecambe and Wise. And they didn't repeat anywhere near as much. And so you remember those sketches really clearly. Like, I yeah. remember that the breakfast sketch where they're dancing in the kitchen, like 
to the second and the four candles sketch I can remember it all because they're just brilliant but with more modern sketch shows I remember the characters but I don't remember many of the setups yeah yeah or the jokes I remember the character and their catchphrase and I don't remember what joke was because it was just repeated so many times that in the end it the catchphrase and the character was just the joke yeah definitely whereas like four candles you know that's so excellently written there's some thought there someone sat down and gone this would be really funny and then written that out uh and yeah um things like goodness gracious me that was a sketch show as well I don't know if you remember that but that I just thought that was so good there was a couple of things that was catchphrasy in it um but that there's a scene in goodness gracious me where they go out for an English so they just reverse the entire stereotype and they're like bring me the blandest thing on the menu and like you know don't worry don't worry I've got this guys I know what I'm doing uh we'll have four bread rolls please classic that's really clever really clever okay number sevens so Gemma do you want to kick us off with your number seven yeah, my number seven is Only Fools and Horses. Um, I just think it's timeless. Uh, you, you go back to even the earliest ones, I don't think they've aged um, right to like, if they made one, if they made a Christmas special this year, everybody would watch it. And I think it goes through generations as well. I think my entire family could sit and watch that. And, um, you know, the 18 year old to the 72 year old would all sit and watch that. I think it's great. I think the humor is brilliant. I love the fact that, I love the sentiment actually. I love that it's sentimental. I love that relationship between him and Rodney and how he's this um, parent to Rodney as well as the, uh, the brother. I like that sometimes he's the idiot and sometimes he's the genius. So sometimes when he's totally getting the, got the better of and he, I don't know, throws all the money off the balcony but then there's sometimes when it ends with that he got the better of everybody else right at the end of the uh, of the episode. Um, I love Grandad and uh, obviously then what became Uncle Albert. Um, but yeah, I, I like the way that obviously it tells their stories of their life. You see them grow up because it went for so long and then marry and have children. Um, but I just think that I could watch that now. I could put that on a room full of people and I think everybody would watch it. I think... I, I don't know people that don't like Only Fools and Horses. I think it's brilliant. Delboy falling through the bar. Um, the chandelier episode. Like, yeah. The chandelier thing come in a mile off. Yeah. Not, not the bar one. I think that that was quite quick that that came. And, 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 and that was brilliant. That was genius. The chandelier one, you see that coming a mile off and it's still funny. <laughs> Even though you can see what's exactly going to happen it's still good. It's still funny. But yeah, him falling through the bar. Wow. Yeah. Like they'll show it on TV over and over and over yeah. again. It's still and Batman funny. and Robin, when yeah. they're running um, through dressed as Batman and Robin. But then, like, trigger some of the things that he would say. I remember the Batman and Robin episode, and they're stood there at this um, party that isn't a fancy dress party, dressed as Batman and Robin. And uh, they feel like absolute pillocks. And then Trigger comes up and he goes, ah. Oh, and he's dressed in a suit and he says, I see you didn't get the note that it wasn't a, uh, a fancy dress party as well. And they were like, well, what's the matter with you? It's like, well, I dressed as an undertaker, but like a right prat. <laughs> dressed in a suit. And it's just so good. And Trigger's broom. I mean, everybody says about Trigger's broom, don't they? You know, it's like, oh, well, it's the same broom. I've had it 15 years. Changed the handle a few times. I've changed the head, but it's still the same broom. Trigger's broom, isn't it? <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so my number seven is the show that I, I struggle to kind of categorise um, and it is fundamentally a, a comedy show though, Taskmaster um, if, you're, if you're not familiar with Taskmaster um, it's basically like a, it's, it's like a game show I'd say and where they get five comedians together and they have to do certain tasks to earn points and to basically win the show um, it's had a number of series now, it's recently moved from Dave to Channel 4 if I'm honest, I don't think the Channel 4 series have been as, as good as the kind of high heights that they hit on Dave. And I think, to be honest, that's probably to do with the fact that they've not had an audience. Um, I, I think you can kind of tell the difference of them not having an audience. But 
if you want to kind of go back and see the sort of the, the high heights of Taskmaster, you want to go back and see things like Josh Widdicombe being, being made to count how many beans there are in a tin or how many grains of rice there are in a packet and nobody else has to do that task and his kind of reaction to it. Or Joe Wilkinson getting a potato in a hole in one and then finding out that he's been disqualified. That absolutely poor, poor man. But it's, it's a combination of all these different people that I like, you know, and I think if you watch panel shows and things like that, you will see them a lot and you will see these people across all these different shows. So you're talking like in the early series, people like Rob Beckett, Josh Widdicombe, Ramesh Manganathan, Nish Kumar. Um, and then later on, you then begin to discover people like Kerry Godleyman, Jessica Nappett, uh, even, and then they go back to people like Bob Mortimer, Frank Skinner, David Baddiel. The David Baddiel, Ed Gamble relationship from the series a couple of t- series ago is absolutely bliss. And them two trying to draw each other's things on each other's backs. Um, seeing Tim Key in his safari outfit, trying to just go through it and just do different things. Um, and every year we all kind of go, oh, I wish this person was on it. I wish this person was on it. Like for me, I really wish Ellis James and John Robbins would do it just because I listen to their podcast. Um, I don't think they're going to because John is very good friends with Alex Horn. Um, and I think there's there's almost like a conflict there. But then even when you get a surprise, like I, like I wasn't too familiar with Daisy May Cooper until she did it. Um, I wasn't too familiar with people like uh, Jamali Maddox and Gus Khan, and I think they've been the best things about their shows. Alan Davis finally doing it, you know, was a real treat. Um, so, yeah, Taskmaster, for me, is another one of those shows where, again, it's not scripted or anything like that. In fact, it's actually more improvised, um, which might tell you a little bit about the comedy that I like. And I, I just, you know, I kind of agree to it really quickly. I think me and Amy binged as many series as we could do. And then we began to just watch it when it was on, basically. Um, so, yeah, Taskmaster is my number seven. Holly? My number seven. Um, on Taskmaster, I think the the genius of it is the way that we are watching it. The first thing you think of is, how would I do that task? Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the way it drags you into the show is just brilliant. I, I oh, could, we, we bought the board game. I can watch and did, yeah. the, and did the board game a couple of times. My mate hates it because he says it's an absolute faff and it basically you need things to do it with. So, like, I think one of the first things we had to do was make a face out of a piece of bread and then put the piece of bread on our face and then sort of do some, uh, take a picture without it falling off or something. Um, or, like, go from the living room to the to the bedroom, but only on your hands and knees and see you could do it the quickest and stuff like that. And he was just like, it's just too much of a faff. You know, he wasn't bothered to sit down and play Monopoly instead. Um, no, I, I disagree. No. I think Taskmaster is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, mine seven is uh, the oldest one on my list, and it's uh, Porridge. And I rewatched all of them recently. I think they're on iPlayer. Um, and, and I love them just as much, if not more, than when I've seen like odd episodes, this sort of thing that you know turn on the telly on a Sunday and it's on. Um, and that's the only way I'd seen it in the past, but I'd seen a lot of episodes kind of over years and years and years and sitting down and watching the whole thing. It just hit me how, how clever and it like empathetic the show is, not to get too wokey-wokey, but it's from 1973. And that, that was a tough job to make a sitcom set in a prison that still had to feel like it was in a prison, but be family friendly um, and not empathize with the criminals too much because you don't want the criminals to be amazingly the heroes of the show and all of the guards to be horrible and sadistic, but you want them to like your main characters. But all these little bits are quite subtle and difficult to do, I think. And they just did it perfectly. Like, they so perfectly. Like, Norman Stanley Fletcher, I love him so much, but I don't want to ever meet him. I don't want to ever, ever meet him. He's a horrible piece of work, but I love him. And I love it every time he pulls the wool over the guard's eyes. It, it's just, I'm cheering them on. Um, there, there are so many, there's so many bits which, which are which are so clever and funny. I think my favorite episode is the very first episode where he's trying to get 
better shoes and he just answers every single question in the um from the doctor with oh my bad feet my bad feet and the doctor's like are there any health issues you have or oh, just my bad feet what job were you thinking of wanting while you're in the prison oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to do a job because of my bad feet because of my bad feet how are you or have you ever been a practicing homosexual what with these feet and I'm just like oh it's just it's just perfect it's just so so much of it was so clever and Ronnie Barker had a lot to lose with that because he was such a household name um he he uh had a really family friendly show he was a writer as well he'd done so much stuff and to go in and be quite a hardened criminal in something that could in the 1970s that could have cost him his career and he is perfect in it and so lovable and so wonderful um and yeah, I have, I, I, there are not enough good things to say about porridge. Obviously it's dated, it's from the 1970s, but it's nowhere near as dated as it could be. Um, and I think that is because the writing is really quite sympathetic and human and everyone in it is human. Even Mr. Mackay, the horrible sadistic guard is still a human being um, who has his foibles and, and bright spots. Um, I really love that they invented their own swear word so that all of the um, inmates could be swearing all the time, but it still be a family show. So when I was little, I really did think naff off was a naughty swear when it was just something that they made up for the show so that they could be swearing all the time and it still feel like they're in a prison instead of a bunch of men like speaking very nicely. Um, I thought that was clever. I watched it a lot when I was a kid. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember if it was my grandparents or my mum, but there was definitely a point where I was ill from school, maybe with chicken pox, and it was Adams just sat on the sofa and watched porridge <laughs> all, all day, as you do. Um, okay, Holly, you've just done your number seven. Where are we up to? Number six. Okay, so I'm going to kick us off with my number six. Um, this is, I would say, the first one on my list that I have a massive affinity for. And even when it comes up on TV, I would I would sort of put it on and stick an episode on. Um, really kind of formative. My family, uh, BBC One sitcom from um, quite a few years ago now. I think it started in 2000, around about that time. It lasted a good couple of years, but again, I think it was one of those that, unfortunately, instead of just ending it when you'd done the story, they carried it on. Because there was a point where, um, so it's basically about a family, uh, the Harper family, Ben and Susan, played by uh, Robert Lindsay and Zoe Wanamaker, who have three children, Zoe, Michael and Nick. Nick was this kind of like really daft sort of, sort of, again, not necessarily slapsticky, but he was that kind of typical teenage boy of just, he's trying to chance his way through life. Michael was really smart. Um, Janie was again smart but she was inevitably the one that was going to have a family first so then they introduced Janie's children you know the Harper grandchildren and things like that but there was just something about it and I think it was more to do with the relationship between Ben and Susan that sort of pulled me in and really made me like it but it was one of them sort of as most sitcoms are short and sweet 30 minute burst on a Friday night where with the way that we were with our family, we would watch something like EastEnders at eight o'clock. We would then stay on and watch my family at half eight. And then at that, that time, you know, I would have been 10, 12 at the time. It would have been like, right, start getting ready for bed. That's the Friday night kind of done with. Um, Amy, a couple of years ago, bought me the whole box set. So I kind of went back through and stuff like that. And I'd missed an episode where Ben installs an alarm into the house, but it has loads of different sensors scattered around the house which means that when he triggers it, he can't then move because it will then trigger the alarm. So it's this whole episode of Robert Lindsay trying to get around his house as if he's Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible and he's diving down the stairs and things like that. It's absolutely hilarious. Uh, but yeah, it's just one that I think even recently there was an episode on a Friday night, probably around about half eight, where I just thought, oh, the showing my family, I'm going to stick that on. And again, it's just something that if it popped up on like, what was UK TV gold? I'd stick it on and just give it a watch. Um, but yeah, so that's my number six, my family. 
Um, Holly, what's your number six? Uh, my six is The Mighty Boosh. Um, I think this is the first show that I ever thought I'm basing my entire personality on this show now. <laughs> this show is me. I will be it. Done. Um, because I, I think I was probably, well, it came out in 2004. So I was still in, I was still in secondary school. And uh, the show is just so surreal and weird. And I was definitely, definitely in a phase of, I'm going to be as weird as possible so that I can pretend that people don't like me because I'm weird by choice and not because I'm weird by nature. This was my logic. It was sound. Um, so yeah, the, the Mighty Boosh just became this gigantic thing for me. So there are three series. Uh, it's about uh, two friends. In the first series, they work in a zoo. In the second series, uh, they're in a band. And in the third series, they work in a shop. There is no explanation for their change in their career whatsoever. Um, it, every episode is its own little story, which I tend not to like. I tend to like it when there's like a story arc through something, um, but you're not there for the story in The Mighty Boosh. You're there for the surreal nonsense, the music. Um, they invented a new genre of music called The Crimp, which is halfway between a song and a rap. It's very weird. I know all of them by heart. When I meet someone else who knows about the Mighty Boosh, I have to sing the soup song at them. And if they don't join in, I know they're a fraud. Um, it just, it, it became a really important thing for me. Like the fashion of the show is crazy and ridiculous. Like someone will just walk in, in the middle of like mucking out the gorilla cage in like, a red sparkly cowboy hat doesn't matter it's my douche um there are so many little bits from it that I I just do not just lines but like bits like that one of the characters uh when he gets angry with someone says I'm going to turn my back on you now and then this same song plays and he just like turns around like he's on a turnstile do that every time someone annoys me um and a, a lot of people from that show have now again, gone on to do bigger, better things. The, the director of the show was Paul King, who uh, is now a big Hollywood director and directed and wrote, I think, both of the Paddington films. Um, and quite a lot of that surreal kind of aesthetic has went into the Paddington films as well. There's a scene in Paddington, the first one, where they're in the, the museum and there's all the taxidermy animal heads pointing out the wall and she goes through a door and on the other side, it's all the taxidermy animal bums. And that is 100% Mighty Boosh right there, just in a children's film. Um, if you've never seen it, it, it's definitely a Marmite show. You, you either love it or hate it immediately. Um, but it was massively, massively important to me as a teenager. And I really... Like that was the thing that made me think, oh, surreal comedy. That's the thing I like. So was it Noel Fielding and Paul King, or was there somebody else? No, Noel Fielding and Julian Barrett. What what has Julian Barrett done recently? Uh he was in a really good sitcom called uh Flowers with Olivia Coleman. And that, that was I about think... mental health. That was that was his name dark. rang a bell. Very dark thought, sitcom. I know that he's done something, um, yeah. He's, um, uh, his wife is Julia something, who is in Gavin and Stacey and Nighty Night. Um, All right, okay. Yeah, uh, Julian Barrett, that's it. Um, yeah, Julian Barrett hasn't done quite as much, but I think he was the better actor than, than Noel Fielding. Okay. Um, but as a pair, they're, they're just wonderful. And forever and always, I will love Julian Barrett's slim, handsome legs. <laughs> Again, it was another one of them where, like, I think my friends liked it, or some of my friends liked it, because they had that very peculiar style of wit, let's say. Um, and it was just something that kind of passed me by. Um, it, started, it started as a radio show, and you can tell... Um, because quite a lot of quite a lot of it works better when you can't see it because it's very very surreal so yeah. lots of the stuff that happens in the show 
happens off stage because they're just explaining that uh, something ridiculous has happened and you couldn't possibly make it on a budget um it's very old style doctor who like some of the monsters and things in it are like very visibly someone wrapped in bubble wrap um but i just i just kind of love that there were a lot at that time that started as radio like we mentioned little britain before and i do wonder if like little britain you know you can imagine david williams and matt lucas doing the voices over radio but then the minute where you go right we now need to make a a physical character for this they're then stuck in like the now controversial look back of blackface and everything else that happened with it yeah interesting um Gemma your last uh number six to wrap us up for this first half Okie dokes, yeah, so this is one that Holly has already mentioned, um, and this is just a, a massive favourite of mine, it's the one I wish I'd written myself, this is this country, um, so I'd, I don't even know where to start with it, so one of my dreams is to write TV comedy, okay, if I could have my dream job, it would be to write for TV, and it would be to write comedy, and um, that was my idea way before Daisy and uh, Charlie Cooper beat me to it. That was exactly what I would have done because people say write about what you know. And as uh, Holly mentioned, that is where I grew up. I grew up on uh, in a small village on the edge of the Cotswolds. So those places where they filmed that are, you know, sort of half an hour from uh, where I'm from. It's where a lot of my friends came from and where they sort of still live now. Um, and when I watched it, I just said, that that's my childhood that is exactly what I spent my childhood doing hanging around with there being no buses anywhere and just having absolutely nothing to do and you know them making a full episode of having to walk really far across a field to get somewhere and then not being able to get a bus back is 90% of my childhood even having to get to a friend's house that's what we had to do just walk really far because it was before we could text or ring them um so the writing in it is is brilliant. I love the fact that there's there's nothing flashy or Hollywood or showy about it. It is literally just like how you live your life, exactly like Holly said it. Um, but some of the the lines, some of the things that they would say, I remember thinking, that's really 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 clever. That's really funny what they've said. I remember he said once. Um, so Charlie's character, uh, what's his name, Curtin. Um, I remember he was going spying on the bowling club in one episode because he'd been given the sack. And it also, he, he was like, oh, it's all going to fall apart without me. It's all going to fall apart without me. And then he goes to have a look and it's not falling apart. It seems to be thriving. And there's an old guy called Arthur in it. And he says, um, Arthur's laughing. Arthur never laughs. He told me that the last time he laughed was when he was part of a squadron that was bombing Dresden. And I'm not sure if that was because he was so traumatised by it or it was the last thing that genuinely tickled him. What a line. Imagine being the person that wrote that. What a funny thing to say. And I remember just thinking, that's so funny. Yeah, the vicar, um, Daisy May's character, Mandy. I can tell you the name. I'm not going to do it on here because that's libelous. Uh, but I can tell you the name of our villages, Mandy. And as soon as my mum watched it, because I was like, mum, you have to watch this. This is literally us growing up in Harvington. As soon as she watched it, she said, well, Mandy's so-and-so, isn't it? And I was like, yes, definitely. The, and, and our Mandy still lives in that village now. She's still there being Mandy, the local psychopath. You'll be pleased to know it isn't me. Um, this country is, is it's the programme I wish I'd written because I identified with every single bit of it. So my next one is writing something about um, an academy like teaching an academy, write about what you know. My idea is just, oh, I can't give it away. Someone will steal it. But when you see it, or when someone else does it before I do, <laughs> which is most likely what's going to happen, um, I'll tell you about it. But yeah, I, I have my ideas about the humour that we see every day at work. Yeah. Um, that was basically this country, the humour I saw every single day in, uh, in growing up in a tiny little village on the edge of the Cotswolds. So yeah, my uh, my number six is this country. I do forever have the idea of I need to start carrying like a little journal around and writing things down that I see because the amount of stuff we see on a day to day basis, like you it's forget it, don't you? Phone. Adam, it's written in my phone. I've already <laughs> started making notes. The note on my phone is called Teaching Funnies, 
And when something hilarious happens at work, I write it down because one day that will, yeah. that will be part of it. So the first one that's come up here is when, um, uh, when at the start of lockdown, when we were given our visors, we were all stood out the back and me and Ed were stood out the back and a, <laughs> a gust of wind took our visors and they took them right across the year eight playground. So me and Ed went running after them. Right, and then a little boy went running. He was obviously a lot quicker, but his shoes fell off because he was running. Right, so we ended up tripping over him and his shoes on our pursuit to get the uh, the visors. Oh, oh um, my god! Um, yeah, I remember. Gemma, you have you have to do me a favor, and you have to include Caroline of Year Nine in your because she says the most amazing things. I've ever heard. I write down whenever she says something. I write it down in my planner so that I can look back on it later. Brilliant. Like some some of her favorites. One of my favorites is uh, put that in your pipe oh, yeah. and pipe down. Put that in your pipe and pipe down. Just said that out of nowhere. <laughs> Just out of nowhere. It's spectacular. I was I, the stuff like I told a, a kid said to me, "Do you think Miss Gobi likes snow?" And I said, "Well, she was on the phone to me last night telling me I had to bring my sledge in." And they were like, really? I was like, yeah, yeah. She, she told me I had to bring my sledge in because she wants to use my sledge. And they were like, well, what are you going to use? I'm like, well, what do you do? If the boss tells you she wants your sledge, then you've got to give the boss your sledge. And they were all convinced of it. I had a kid ask me to lend them a pen when we were teaching remotely. I mean, and they were like, miss, have you got a pen? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm sat here in my gaff. <laughs> Like, oh yeah, sorry, I didn't think oh. that is the stuff that will make it when I write something about our academy. Anyway, I made a rod for my own back a couple of years ago when I first started. Um, every kid and the mums were saying that I looked like a teacher that already worked there. Um, and we, I, yeah, I'll tell you later. Um, and then we basically made it a running joke that I was his brother. Um, and it was like, yeah, of course I am, because we're going around to mum's for tea. Yeah, she's cooking a curry and stuff like that. And then it was the other day when I was talking to some of the year 11s. They're like, no, but you are though, aren't you? Because you told us that in yes. I was like, no, I'm not. It's a joke. Like, it's not an actual thing. Yeah. Just That's like the kids, thing, gullible. Then, yeah. yeah. Wrestler thing. Convinced of it. And when yeah. I was off poorly a few weeks, I came back and I just told them I'd been on a wrestling tour. They didn't even question it. <laughs> God. one of the kids t- the first time I think I met one of the kids they said to me you know you know Miss Hale she's a wrestler I was like oh yeah 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 of course she is yeah I love some of the lines I come up with with that because I've had so long to elaborate so my favorite one is yeah I retired in 2003 and I gave my life to RE <laughs> <laughs> yes and they yeah. just don't see that I'm messing about with that. I gave my life to Ari. <laughs> oh, that, that one's right. not a joke, though, right? It's a vocation. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's it for part one. Um, we're going to be back next week for part two and our picks from five to one. In the meantime, you can help spot Find and Film. Find us on social media at Find and Film. By going to our sponsor off all teas using the code Farrand for 15% off your order. Stay safe, look after each other, and I will see you next time.